when I first got into the international Great Britain team, the big thing about diet and there was a massive influence on food and the way you eat and what you should look like and what you should be. The impact that's had on me post-swimming has carried on through to my age now, 43. I still have issues with food. I still have massive issues with my weight and that does have an impact. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Robbie. I'm here with my co-host, Fran. Hi, how are you doing? And you're listening to the World is Mental podcast, where we explore mental stories and mental outcomes with people of influence all across the planet. Today, we're sitting here with Sarah Price. Sarah was a two-time Olympian uh, competing in the 2000 Sydney Games and 2004 Athens Games. She was a former world record holder for the 200-meter backstroke, and we're just so pleased to have her on. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing today? Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. And I understand, friend, you're actually friends with Sarah, which is like, whoa. Yeah, which is great, which is, it's so interesting for me because I always wanted to be an athlete and it never happened. So you kind of lived my dream. So, but how, how is that? How does that feel when you actually get there? Obviously, you've got all sorts of training that takes years and years and years. What age were you discovered and what was your journey and how is how is it being top of the world it's it's crazy because at the time you kind of think that's normal afterwards when you finish swimming you realize actually how special that was so in some ways I lived this amazing life um but actually I wish I appreciated it a little bit more at the time because Mm. for me that was normality I actually realized actually that was quite an exception to the norm and not many people would experience what I went through I mean I started off in a tiny tiny little club in London um, and uh, I made the national age groups that you do as a kid um, and I I got invited to come and see if I wanted to try another club and from that I made the European juniors and then made my first senior in gosh I think it was I'm testing myself now 2005 I think um, which is actually the same meet my husband was on although we didn't get together two years later Um, but uh, yeah it was it was a slow journey but I've probably popped onto the international scene probably in uh, 2007. Mm. So yeah I have a question here Uh, you know people you know participate in sport and all that uh, growing up and they do it for fun you know learn teamwork and this um, as soon as somebody's like really good, like a standout, you know, above a cut above or many cuts above, it almost morphs into this like business mentality, right? Like these scouts or whatever they may be, they notice that they hone in on that, and then it's a totally different trajectory, right? Did you feel like okay, swimming? It's not just for fun anymore. This is like a business. This is like my life. This is, did it take on new meaning? It did. And my mom and dad, I think, uh, are very happy that I found swimming. I had a bit of a trouble at school. I was, I always got myself into trouble. Um, I just didn't enjoy the discipline of school. However, the discipline of swimming, and it is highly disciplined, gave me something because I could see an end goal. Mm. I could see that I wanted to get to that Olympics. I wanted to have a gold medal around my neck. My neck. And I, you have to be a little bit different. You have to be a bit odd to right. be an athlete. Um, and you've got to have something in you that, that sometimes is hard to explain to anyone else. But it is that inner drive. And you can't, you can't put a finger on what that means, what it is. But you know where you want to get to. And actually, I think it's a great outlet for anyone that's struggling in other avenues, such as school or at home, just to be able to focus on one thing. So tell us what happened at the 2000 Sydney Olympics and then the 2004 Athens. So 2000 Sydney, it was my first Olympics. Um, 
probably, gosh, if British Swimming heard me say this now, they, they would go crazy. But um, it was about the experience for me at 2000. Unfortunately, though, when I was in the village and we moved into the village after the training camp, I went to one of the eateries and it was a barbecue and I had a prawn on the barbecue and was severely ill for um, three days afterwards, lost about half a stone. Um, so when I came to swim, I hadn't had any of the nutrition um, and unfortunately I didn't do very well. At the 2004, I probably should have maybe been on that medal podium maybe not have won it if I'm completely honest but I probably should have got a medal um, and unfortunately after the heats I went to do my warm-up in the semi-final um, and sometimes I do a sprint at the end of my warm-up sometimes I don't this time I wanted to um, unfortunately in backstroke you start in the water you don't start on a block so when you get in you obviously jump in turn around grab onto the block I assumed the pool was a safe environment, jumped in. Unfortunately, someone had left the camera box, which covers the camera itself, mm. on their massive steel box, completely cut open all of my legs, um, and we had to um, try and move things around for me to swim because I needed the medical attention. Mm. Was this um, just before the race? Literally just before the race. I was the second semi-final up. Um, but to have a race moved at an Olympic Games, you have to have the agreement from all of the nations of the swimmers that are in that semi-final. Um, everyone had heard what happened. Um, I was concerned because I'd literally seen my mum and dad. I didn't know if they'd seen it. My sister was there. Didn't know if she had seen it. So I was worried about like, wondering if they'd had any news. Um, but unfortunately, um, 15 out of this, well, sorry, sorry, 14 out of the 15 other competitors agreed to move the semi-final later on so I could have the medical treatment. Mm. The one person, um, and she went on to get the gold, so I do understand it. Mm. But um, she unfortunately said no. So I had to swim with my legs. Um, kind of not in a great place. I mean, they wanted to pull me out. I said, no, I'm swimming it. I still thought I could do it. And I was great down the first length. I was brilliant. But as soon as I pushed off that wall, the pain kind of interjected. I can imagine. And, and so what was going through your mind right there? Was it like the world sucks? You know, I can't believe this is happening, especially knowing um, 14. I'll be completely 15. honest. When I pushed on the wall mm. and I was in pain, I still believed I could do it because that's what you're trained to do. You you're go. trained to have that mentality mm. that you are unstoppable. Um, you have people that help you with all of the psychology side of things. And I jumped in to do my semi-final and I still believed I could be on that medal podium. There wasn't one part of me that didn't believe that. Um, it's just sometimes your body overtakes your mind. Your mind can only do so much. Um, and on the day, it usually is 90% mental. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But if the physical ability is not there, it's not there. So with this podcast, Sarah, we always try to give our listeners, you know, some valuable insight. And what I'm taking away from just that part of your story there, um, you know, it's just, you know, I've been through pain. I, I run a business, Fran. I know you run a couple businesses. And there's days where we feel like we've just been you know, kicked off a bus and run over by a truck. Um, but there's this grit inside of you that tells you to keep pushing, don't give up, no matter what, where you finish, as long as you give it your best, um, then that should make it okay with you in some aspect. Um, you know, personally, I live through day by day, you know, looking back and regret. Was there any of that going on with you? I know it wasn't your fault. You've jumped into the pool like you do maybe a million times in mm. your life. And it just so happened right there in this big stage, this happened. 
And um, also, what did your coach say? I mean, mm. you know, can you even speak to them? What, what happened when you got out of the pool? I mean, to be honest, the, the coach and staff were fantastic. My coach at the time did everything in his power to be able to help me um, and get the support that I needed. The team manager um, was incredible. His name's Craig Hunter. My coach was Ian Turner. Um, Craig Hunter did everything in his power to get everything moved. So mm. everything, everyone did everything for me, um, which is phenomenal because to have that support in swimming is very, very very different sometimes what you have outside swimming so it everyone did all they could mentally um at the time i just kept my focus i did my um visualization a lot of swimming um swimmers athletes you'll find that they would have swum their race a million times before they've actually physically done it so in my head that hadn't changed Mm. so I just kept trying to do that Um, it was only after I realised I hadn't made the final that the world came tumbling down and what was that like What what is the world come tumbling down for you so it's in an, in an Olympic environment, um, it's very hard to get access to your parents and your family and your sister. Gosh, oh, look at me. Oh, no, no, no. Um, and the only people I wanted to see was them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I can understand. I mean, but you couldn't, I couldn't see them for two days. So two days. Two days. Why was it two oh, No, the days? next day. Sorry, it was the next day. So I had to, um, they couldn't stitch up my legs or anything at the pool. So um, the team just wanted to get me back to the village to be able to see their doctor. Went back. I actually didn't need stitches in the end. I just needed butterfly stitches. Um, but it was a bit of a mess. Um, but because of the time, it, we were now talking it, we were like half 11 at night. Yeah. wasn't really possible to see my parents or my sister. So the next day they got me a car because bit of a trouble walking got me a car to go and see my mum my dad and my sister and yeah that's when you cope yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, um, there's a lot of people out there I know that go through things I could almost say the majority of people that go through things what it is is they don't have their support network in place um so they'd kind of drift along and bang their head on the wall. And, and I think and what's really important as well is sometimes you don't realise who your support network are. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in swimming, it's quite set. You know who your team manager is, your coach, your sports science, your massa. Um, but sometimes I think you underestimate the people around you that are even closer, like the other athletes that I was around. So after the warm-up, after I'd been seen by the medical people, I had literally eight minutes to get my racing costume on and get down to the call room to sign in. Um, now, those you can't get, a, you physically can't get a swimming costume on in eight minutes, of a racing one. It takes about 15. Wow. Um, but we got back to where my bag was and all of the other athletes that were at that warm-down pool where we kept all our bags, they all had their own finals and semi-finals that night. But they'd all got my costume out they'd all realized that what had happened and I had five people literally just pulling me into a swim costume they all had their own things to focus on mm. they all had their own races but at that time they realized that's what I needed yeah. and that I was their support when they needed me and they were my support when I needed them and, and we got me down there so I think sometimes you underestimate the, the even closest people around you of what they can do as well yeah. Yeah. that's amazing it takes 15 minutes I had no idea maybe I should have got a bigger size I don't know <laughs> I throw a pair of speedos on and go for a dip, you know. I didn't. I had no yeah, idea. skin tight, skin yeah. tight, I mean, and they well, were different costumes back then. They're not allowed half the costumes that we wore back then now. But so they were, yeah, but yeah. Each Olympics, like they were down to the knee, like a triathlon yeah. suit. Yeah, well, we did have all in ones at uh, one point where you mm. had it down to the wrist, down to the ankles, but they're gone now. They're illegal. And how how do you think? things are treated nowadays um, Sarah compared to, to then because it was 20 years ago yeah. Yeah. more than yeah, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. big long time ago yeah. I think well, 
in terms of the day-to-day training sets, I don't think the world's massively changed. Mm. Um, I think you know, don't 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 turn something that doesn't, don't move something yeah, that doesn't yeah. that's already working. Um, but obviously, science has moved on, and the mental side of things have moved on. Mm. I mean, back in the day, I had a massive problem with my weight. Um, I was always always the lady on the swimming team with the largest body percentage of fat Mm. Um, and whatever I did I always was that person with that title the largest body percentage but did that matter Um, if you've got the world record does it matter what your yeah I think I can see it mentally just you know checking in with your whole team and then you're that one person yeah I mean there's been a lot of stories out there recently Mm. about um, weighing swimmers etc back in my day that was a normal thing that was done you were weighed um, twice a week on poolside and your body percentage was taken by calipers and it is important to know where you are I think that's important but then there is also uh, it's important to track what your optimum weight is as well because I did actually lose a lot of weight but with that I lost muscle and therefore I wasn't actually as competitive so my optimum body percentage fat was 17 which is actually quite high for a female athlete but for me that's when I raced well when I broke the world record I was at 17.1 so um, it does it is knowing your body but also knowing what you feel comfortable with mentally as well because when I did lose all the weight I might have looked great but I just knew something wasn't right inside so I had to find that. And, and I did have that support work network around me. Um, the mental side of things, um, I did have a sports psychologist for a lot of things. Um, they did help me. But unfortunately, sometimes the two things didn't tie up. So the sports scientist and nutritionist didn't tie up with the mental side of things. And, and that's, that is very different now. We'll be back with that in just a moment. As the owner of Pure Organic CBD, I can honestly tell you that if you're looking to buy CBD oil, whether it be for pain, sleep, anxiety, mood, emotional support, or even maybe just for your pet, there is no better product out there than our CBD at pureorganiccbd.com. Everything comes from Switzerland. It's all handmade. It's lab tested by professionals. And right now we're giving a discount for our podcast listeners with 20% off. Just use coupon code 20podcast at pureorganiccbd.com at checkout and you'll receive a 20% first time discount. Anyways, back to the show. What happens now, Sarah? Because you run a you run a, a swim school. What, what's the name of the swim, swim school? Diamond Swim Academy up in the Birmingham Solihull area of the UK. Wow. So they're really lucky, those kids, that they've got two Olympians. Yeah. They are, but it's so funny. Half of them don't even realise it is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so we run that with um, two other of our business partners, my husband and I, and then two other business partners, um, of which um, the, the other lady, Sophie, she's also competed internationally. And uh, it's learn to swim. So for us, I think learn to swim should be all about fun mm-hmm. um, everything they do should be about fun you know eventually they will channel their activities um, into maybe one or two but I think initially it's getting them to do as many activities as they can as a kid and enjoy doing it mm-hmm. because the world has a lot of pressures anyway social media etc out there I think while you can keep kids young you keep them young and you keep what they're doing enjoyable mm-hmm. until they need to then go into those avenues they always say that um, do what you love right um, and then you you know, you hear, uh, like I'm from L.A., you, you see a lot of childhood actors, you know, and they're like 10, 15, 20. They look, they're cute, they're funny, you know, they're, they're quirky. 
um, and then they grow up, and then they resent what they did as a child. They they really I think the or they end up on drugs, or they end up dead. I think that right. I think there's a lot of. Money. I think they don't yeah. know their identity. If I'm being honest, when yeah. you're pushed into something too young, I think you haven't explored exactly who you are, um, and you're not comfortable probably with who you are. You've been mm. had so many other people influencing on what you should be that that can be taken away from you. So when you come into adulthood, you really are quite lost of who the person you should or should be. And that's what I was getting at. I, I, I have a feeling that uh, your Swim Academy focuses outside of that. You're like It's a more life-encompassing kind of strategy. We're centered on fun, which sounds yeah, absolutely. amazing. absolutely. And we encourage them to do as many activities outside our, our company as well. I mean, I think what we our main message is every child should be able to learn to swim. Mm. To be able to access other activities is really important, but more so than anything, you just want them to be safe when you take them on holiday or when they're around sure. water. So for us, it's, it's giving them the life skills as well as the additional technical side of things that will give them the opportunity to go on mm. should they want to go on to other activities. No, I love that concept. Um, and distilling that into a message that you can get, deliver to these kids, where did that come from? I mean, I, it obviously comes from your background. Um, was there anything that you went through where you f- look at it now and feel like, well, hold on a second. You know, if this was just said to me a little differently, I would have a completely different outlook on my career, on my life. And was there yeah. ever a moment? Is there anything like that? Yeah. So I think um, it was I, not so much as a child. I had a really happy childhood. Mm. Um, and my mum and dad gave my sister and I all the opportunities in life. And they really did. They gave us, they took us places. They let us do loads of different things. But it was when I first got into the international Great Britain team Um the, the big thing about diet and there was a massive influence on food mm. um, and the way you eat and what you should look like and what you should be and I, I don't think anything was done incorrectly at the time I really don't and and I will never feel resentful to anyone sure. at all um, but what I would say is the impact that's had on me post swimming has carried on through to my age now 43 I still have issues with food I still have massive issues with my weight um and that does have an impact. Because yeah. you always hear it like, um, you know, back home, I'm sure around the world, people in the military, right? They, they stay four years, eight years, 12 years, something. And then there's always these stories when they get out of the military, that's all they know. And then there's no post-military kind of, hey, let's get reoriented with everyday regular life. Um, and then we were speaking to some athletes on this podcast before, and it's the same kind of thing. Did you experience that? Is Absolutely, that, yeah. yeah. I mean, when you swam, I was really lucky that I had um, sponsorships and lottery funding. So financially, I was really looked after as an athlete. Um, and I did have also people around me that supported me and told me what to do. And I think that's important. They told me what to do because I needed that um, as an athlete. However, when you come out of swimming and that lottery funding stops, then... From their point of view, they obviously are moving on to the next generation and looking for the next medals. From an athlete's point of view, um, it's very, very different. That transition is incredibly hard. And and I think there is always a time where um, you go through a real mental low. I mean, I, I... I struggled really badly after I came out of swimming, didn't really know who I was. My sister lived abroad. My mum and dad just were in the process of moving abroad. Um, Suddenly, and everyone's entitled to move on with their lives, absolutely. Um, But suddenly I felt very, very alone. I couldn't get a job because all I was ever known as was a swimmer. Mm. So financially, you're worrying about things. Um, I got into a really bad relationship that went... um, 
horrendously wrong for nine months um and it was it was horrendous um because i just i couldn't cope with life really Mm -hmm. so but um yeah i mean you you then you do have again you pick yourself up but it it was incredibly difficult difficult and i don't know if i'm being honest what's out there now but i do think it's important that there is or needs to be support for anyone coming out of whether it is the military whether it is being an athlete whether it's coming out of even silly as boarding school because you've only that's all you know and 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 life is very different outside. As a parent, Sarah, how your your son's quite young. How old is he now? Seven. He's now. seven. So it's like this big wide world of you know. He's both his parents are swimmers. So is there pressure on him to be a swimmer? Yeah, uh, this is this is the thing he loves swimming, which I, I will always encourage. Um, my stepson, so my husband Adam, he's got a stepson. I'm oh, sorry, a son. My stepson, who was heavily heavily involved in swimming, um, was an excellent swimmer, really really good. Um, but the one thing I'm really conscious of is every time he was announced onto his lane, he was always known as Dan Ruckwood, Adam Ruckwood's son. So for that just breaks my heart. He he didn't have his own identity, um, and I think it's really important that if Dylan does go down, Dylan's my son, if Dylan does go down that route then um, we ensure that he does have his own identity people know him as Dylan and where possible, I mean to be honest it was 20 years ago when Adam and I swam so hopefully no one will know who we are anymore mm. but um, that he, he does it in his own right as well. I think that it, there's strength in vulnerability and I think that when people carry on their image, their social media image that everything's fine but actually it's not and I think that's what we need to teach our kids about what real life is but when you do uh, get in touch with your vulnerability that's where the, that's where there's change and that's where this actual strength comes we, we always always think of vulnerability as weakness it's actually not because this, this is raw and this is real so um, you know our work is never done and we've all you know being an Olympian it's like wow for me that was a dream to be an Olympian but f- you know to sit next to you and you actually done it just like we're all the same and yet you had an extraordinary um, experience of being I can't imagine how it is to be on top of the, to be in the, the, the best in the world must be just an amazing experience. It is but you're talking that as an athlete. Many people are top of the world many people are incredible. My, my sister is my role model. She inspires me every single day. She is mm. for me the ultimate woman out there yeah. and so it doesn't need, you don't have to have that title related to it being an athlete yeah. or in sport or in business or yeah. as a captain in the military, whatever that may be. It it's, it's just trying to be the best that you can be in life and knowing and, and knowing how to reach your full potential. And it's talk, I talked about being raw again, but until you are prepared to open yourself up, then you kind of just carry on with life and you, you kind of exist in life. Whereas actually by making yourself vulnerable and by getting, getting the tools and the tips and the right people to help you and the right avenues that you go down, that, that's the only way that you're going to experience life to the full. All right. Well, uh, Sarah, uh, it was amazing speaking with you today. Your story is so inspiring, and I hope it inspired our listeners to to never give up and um, take transition in stride. And uh, just like you said, be your best every day, and uh, good will radiate from it. So, yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to This World is Mental. This episode is privately sponsored by Pure Organic CBD. Go to pureorganiccbd.com use promotional code 20 podcast for 20% off your first order. You can follow us on social media like Facebook and Instagram and stay tuned here for more episodes. Thanks for listening.